Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontius and Asia, and Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked each other, What does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, They've had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. Amen. Today we're celebrating Pentecost, 50 days after Passover. And on this day we remember the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the disciples of Jesus. And the church calendar focuses on events in the life of Jesus and the life of the church. And the church year begins with Advent, the anticipation of the coming of Jesus and as a baby. And then after Advent, we sort of go into a, another significant time, which is called Lent. It's the 40 days of preparation before Easter. And then after that, we celebrate the resurrection and then the ascension of Jesus. And then we come to Pentecost. When, Jesus, when God poured out the Spirit, His Spirit, on the disciples. Then after Pentecost, we go through time of the year, and we end up with what is called Christ the King Sunday, which is the Sunday before Advent begins. And then we repeat the cycle. But unfortunately, for so many people in our world, their calendars revolve around other things rather than the church year. It revolves around work. It revolves around a fiscal year end. It revolves around family and school. And as you'll see today as we look at Pentecost, it is the beginning of the church. It is also the time when God empowered the church with the Holy Spirit, equipping the church to do the ministry that he called us to do. That gives us the hope that we can have. And so as we look at our text today from Acts chapter 2, I want us to look at four things. First is the presence and power of the Spirit. The presence and power of the Spirit. The second is the central role of the church in God's work in our world. The third is the multilingual nature and mission of the church. And then the fourth thing is the inclusive ministry of the church. Now, Pentecost is significant in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. Pentecost is a Greek word that means 50. 
And it was, Pentecost was also the Greek name known for the festival of the Old Testament called the Feast of Weeks. And so it's 50 days after Passover, or actually, to be more specific, it's the Sabbath after Passover. And so that's how you get to Sunday, 50 days after the Sabbath, after Passover. And this Feast of Weeks is one of the uh, um, three celebrations in the Old Testament where the Jews had to come back to Jerusalem. So if you were a, a Jewish, you were supposed to go to Israel, Jerusalem three times a year, and this is one of those festivals. And so in our story, we have wind and fire, tongues of fire and a mighty wind. And those two images are prevalent in the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. It says in Genesis chapter 1 that the earth was formless and void and the Spirit of God was over the whole earth. And there's power in the wind, power in the rushing wind. But more than just this power that comes along with the wind is the idea of life, this breath, this wind of God brings life. And so just as God breathed into Adam and Adam became alive, so now the Spirit breathes spiritual life into us. The image of fire is seen throughout the Old Testament as the presence of God. Moses spoke to God in the burning bush. There was a pillar of cloud that led the children of Israel by day and then a pillar of fire that led them by night as they were walking or wandering through the wilderness. You have the idea of fire is something that is not just representative of the power or the presence of God, but also the cleansing and the purification of God. It represents his holiness. And so you have these images here in our text where tongues of fire came and rested above the disciples, but also a mighty wind came through. And so what difference does it make for us today that this happened to the disciples over 2,000 years ago? So I want us to look at first the presence and power of the Spirit. On that day of Pentecost, seven weeks after the resurrection of Jesus, the Holy Spirit's poured out on the disciples. They're all together in one room. It's not just the 11 disciples now that Judas is gone. It's more than that. There's um, the extended group of disciples, and they're all together, probably around 120 of them, and men and women together, and they are there in the upper room, and the Holy Spirit comes in them, and they receive the Holy Spirit in a powerful way. And we rarely get the same thing that happened at that first Pentecost. We don't get that today. But nevertheless, the promise of God is this, that God has promised to pour his spirit out on everyone who puts their faith in Jesus Christ. If you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, the promise in Scripture is you have received the Holy Spirit. And so we are meant to live with the presence and power of the Holy Spirit within us. The Holy Spirit helps us to confess Jesus as Lord, empowers us to serve God with supernatural gifts, binds us all together as one people, and intercedes for us and helps us to pray when we don't know how to pray. And the Spirit guides us, not just as individuals, but the Spirit guides us as a church. 
So the question for us to consider on this Pentecost Sunday is, are we living through the present, with the presence and power of the Holy Spirit in our lives? Do we live as if God's Spirit dwells within us? Or are we trying to do this all on our own? Are we open to let the Holy Spirit have control of our lives? Are the gifts of the Holy Spirit prevalent in our lives? And the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control, are they growing in us each and every day? And I know for most Christians, as well as for myself, we live in the presence and power of the Spirit, but only to a little extent. Because we're limited by our fear, we're limited by our sin, we're limited by low expectations, not to mention our tendency to be distracted by things of this world. And Pentecost, and celebrating Pentecost again, offers us a chance to confess our failure and live by the Spirit and ask the Lord to fill us afresh with his power. The second thing is the central role of the church in God's work in the world. On Pentecost, the Holy Spirit descended on individual followers of Jesus, but as they were gathered together as one group of people. They were gathered together, and this became the first church. This is why we say the birthday of the church is Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit is poured out on us. That's why we worship on Sunday. The resurrection happened on Sunday. The Holy Spirit was also given on Sunday. And so this is the birthday of the church. And so those first followers of Jesus shared life together. They focused on teaching, the apostles' teaching and fellowship and eating together in prayer. And they shared things, their belongings, with one another so that no one was hungry or needy. And later on in Acts chapter 2, it says, And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And it says on that first day, there was maybe 3,000 who believed and followed. Now, in theory, God could have poured out the Holy Spirit on followers when they weren't together. And there are surely times when the Holy Spirit touches an individual's life in a powerful way when they are alone in prayer and worship by themselves. But the fact that the Spirit was given to a gathering of believers is not incidental. It underscores the centrality of the church in God's work in the world. And the Holy Spirit was not only just given to individuals, but was given to the gathered people of God. And thus in 1 Corinthians 3, the Apostle Paul observed that the church is the temple of God, where the Spirit dwells. When we gather together, yes, the Spirit dwells within us as individuals, but it's also the gathered people. And so another thing for us to consider is that in our day and age, especially in American culture that is rampant with individualism, we live as if the church is useful but not necessary. It's useful but not necessary. And we seem to believe that as long as a person has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, that everything else is secondary. But Pentecost is a vivid illustration that the truth that is found in the Scripture and throughout Scripture that we are the people of God and the people of God received the Holy Spirit and we are better together 
than we are separate. We are better together as the people of God, and God has given us the Spirit for us to be together. And Pentecost invites us to consider our own participation in fellowship and in worship. And I understand this. I just moved, well, recently moved to Arizona, and now we're getting into the warm part of the year. And I understand you go from air conditioning to air conditioning to air conditioning. You go from your air-conditioned house, you walk into your air, well, your garage, and get into your air-conditioned car, and you drive to your air-conditioned work, and then you go home again, and then we get to our houses, and they are surrounded by moats. Well, no, it's just concrete walls. I'm used to chain-link fences, but we're individuals, and we like our individualism. I mean, years and years ago, people would come to the church because that's the only place they could hear music. Well, not the only place, but one place they could hear music. But now, everyone has their own music. People carry their music with them on their phone. And they put their earphones in, and they listen to their own music, and we have made choice an idol in our world. Choice. We love to have choices. And... Before it was, this is the music. Now, if you don't like the music in church, we hear about it. Who cares? The only person we should be concerned with who likes the music is, did God like it? Did God like our hearts as we sing to him? Well, it's just tough. It's a tough culture that we live in. But so when this idea that the Holy Spirit is given to the people of God as a community of God and we are better together, that's sometimes very difficult for us. But as you leave today, you're going to receive this summer together celebrating community. And that's why we want to do this together in the summertime. We are better together than we are separate. And so today, when you walk out, you'll get this little card. And throughout the whole summer, we're going to be meeting at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings for our one worship service together. So summer together, you'll hear STCC, Summer Together Celebrating Community. And it's important for us because as a church, we have been equipped by the Holy Spirit with all a variety of different gifts to build one another up and to encourage one another to be the people of God. And when we're not together we're less than what God intends for us. When we're also together, we can hold each other accountable. And often we don't like that. We don't like being accountable. But when we get together, we can ask, or ask each other, hey, how are you doing? How are you doing? What, what are you struggling with this week? How are you doing in your family? How are you doing with your relatives? How are you doing? No matter what it is, we can hold each other accountable. I hope that each one of you holds someone else accountable as well as having someone holding you accountable. My cousin goes to AA, and he tells me about going to the meetings and how important the meetings are. And he says, oftentimes, AA is more or, or acts more like church than church does. And I've met a lot of, a number of people who would rather go to AA meetings than to go to church because the church isn't acting the way it should. And as Americans, we read the Bible individually. We read, do daily devotions, so we get up in the morning and read our Bible by ourselves. But 
in the New Testament, the scriptures were always read in community. And people would sit there and encourage each other as they studied the scriptures together. In Hebrews chapter 10, it says, Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as a manner as some is, but meet together and spur one another on. We are much better together than we are separate. Well, the third point, the multilingual nature and mission of the church. On Pentecost, the Holy Spirit empowered believers to praise Jesus in many different languages that they had not learned in an ordinary manner. And symbolically, the miracle reinforces the multilingual, multicultural, multiracial mission of the church. And we are to be a community in which all people who are drawn together by God are welcome. And we all make up the church. The Apostle Paul would write about this over and over again in the New Testament. He says, in Christ there is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave or free, male or female. We are all one in Christ Jesus. And it's amazing how God worked this all out together. The time when God pours out the Holy Spirit on the disciples was the time when the Jews from all over the world had come and gathered together in Jerusalem. And so it's on that day when everyone's together that the Holy Spirit is poured out. So people from all over the world heard the good news of the gospel. But to fully understand this, you have to go back to Genesis chapter 11, where you have the story of the Tower of Babel. The people were saying that they don't need God anymore, and so God was going to divide them. And the way he divides people was by language. And languages divide people. But now, because of the Holy Spirit, people of all different languages are united. Are united. And we should ask ourselves this question. Although there are some glorious examples in the church's history, as for the most part, we have done a pretty lousy job. We have not lived out our multilingual mission as a church. We read earlier about in Revelation that people from every nation, tribe, and tongue is going to gather together. Our church should reflect that. Our church should reflect that. Is it easy to do? Absolutely not. It's very difficult because we all have biases, we all have preferences, but we should reflect the nature of the church. I come from a country that has two official languages. Um, English and French are the official languages of Canada, and I have to admit, being in the States, I think we should have one official language. Absolutely, it should be English, but in the church, every language is welcome. Every culture, every ethnicity, everyone is welcome because God is the one who welcomes them. Absolutely. Is it difficult for us to do? Yes, but that's why God gave us the Holy Spirit to allow us and enable us to love in ways we could never love on our own. And so that brings us to the fourth point, the inclusive ministry of the church. After the Holy Spirit fell on the followers of Jesus, Peter preached a sermon to the people, and he said in these words, In the last days I will pour out my Spirit upon all people, says God. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. And in those days I will pour out my Spirit even on my servant, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. 
And later Peter would say that, explain that the Spirit is given to all who turn from their sins and come to God through faith in Jesus Christ. And this is historic because this is the first time in history where God began to do what he had promised through the prophet Joel so many years before, where the empowering was on all people. In the Old Testament, the Spirit would come on the priests and would come on prophets and sometimes the kings. But now the Spirit is given to everyone, no matter what your background, no matter what your gender, no matter what your age or your social position. The Spirit is given to all people who put their faith in Jesus. Now, this doesn't mean that everyone will be able to have the same gifts, but it does mean that we are all empowered by the Holy Spirit, and that means everyone is important. Everyone is important in the church because everyone is important to God, and God has empowered all of us and given all of us the same Spirit who then gives different gifts and empowers us differently for fulfilling the ministry that he's called us to. And so the question for us to consider is, are we as Christians using the giftedness that we have received for the ministry to which we've been called? Or are we doing ministry out of guilt or um, we, we feel compelled to do certain ministries? Or are we doing it because we've received these gifts from the Holy Spirit and then using them for God's honor and glory? Are we doing ministry by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, or are we trying to do this all on our own? Now, the image of the Holy Spirit that we have in the New Testament, often people will think of the Holy Spirit as a dove. And that's from a passage of Scripture where um, Jesus is baptized, and a voice from heaven comes and says, this is my son whom I love, listen to him. And it says, and it, it, the Spirit descended on him as looking like a dove. The problem for us is doves are tame, quiet, little, nice birds. They are peaceful, and you, you magicians use them, you know. But the early church, this is not how they imagined the Holy Spirit. And so the image here, this is from the book of Kells, that the early Celtic Christians, they imagined the Holy Spirit as a wild goose, and they used the wild goose as a bird that could not be tamed. And the idea for us in the church is oftentimes we perceive, we, we like to box the Holy Spirit in, and we bring the Holy Spirit out on just certain occasions. But the image of the Holy Spirit is this wild goose, and if you go over to Ireland, oftentimes in, in northern Scotland as well, the Holy Spirit is seen as a wild goose. Because the Hebrew word for spirit was awesome wind. A powerful, awesome wind. And sometimes God will speak to you in a gale or it might be a breeze, but either way, you can't control the spirit. The spirit is to control us. Jesus said to Nicodemus in John 3, the spirit blows wherever it wills. We can't control it but we should allow it to control us. And so non-religious people over the centuries have tried to ignore the Spirit, and religious people have tried to control and tame the Spirit. But the Holy Spirit is not a tame bird kept in a clean cage to be released for short bursts at charismatic meetings. 
The Holy Spirit makes its habitation in some of the wildest and darkest places in our world. And the Holy Spirit is wonderfully free, able to go to the dark places in our own lives for healing and to the dark, unvisited places of our church and to the dark and demon-infested places in our society. And we are to do ministry empowered by the Holy Spirit, things that we could never do on our own. And so on this Pentecost Sunday, I remind you to submit yourself to God and allow the Holy Spirit to live in you and empower you and control you. And it will be a glorious time for the church again. Let us pray together. Spirit of God, be wild and free in me. Batter my proud and stubborn will. Blow me where you choose. Break me down if you must. Refashion me as you will. Move me powerfully away from the games I play in order to try and tame you. And lead me into the wild places, the places of dreams or screams, the new frontiers or the total quiet, the long, dark tunnels or the wide, sunny vistas, to speak to lions, to move mountains, to bear tragedy, and to mirror you. Amen and amen.